Hey, this is the podcast of Sue Wesleyan Church's sermon from our Sunday worship services. I'm Pastor Brooks, the one who usually teaches here. Whether you're a regular attender or just listening in for a sample of what our church is like, I really hope this benefits your growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Today as we continue in our recovery series, I'm going to jump right in and we're going to be looking at um, hope, our hope in Christ that we have and uh, this is part of like the second principle within the Celebrate Recovery, the overall thing. And um, what that principle says, it says this, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. You know, one of the reasons why I like this principle so much is because it shows us pretty concisely that we cannot do this on our own. Um, I know in my life when I tried to do things on my own, um, I ended up in the darkest season of my life that I've ever lived. And so I came to a point where I hit rock bottom where I realized that I needed Jesus in my life. I needed that higher power. I needed someone who was beyond myself. And and who better to look at than the creator of the universe? And so um, we see here that this principle, that all the principles that we're going to be looking at over this entire series are rooted in Scripture. And uh, one section of Scripture I wanted to share with you is that um, we see here that in and of our own selves, we can't do it. Because we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God, to paraphrase Romans 3.23. And that we all are in need of help to be made new, to be transformed into something new, to be sanctified in the, and made, remade into the image of God. And so one of the acrostics that's found in principle two, and I don't have them up on the screen, so you're just going to have to like form this acrostic in your head, and it's for the word hope. And uh, it stands for higher power, openness to change, power to change, and expect to change. And so I was looking through, and as I was reading through them, I kind of was paraphrasing them uh, to how it really was impacting me. So H is like we recognize that we have a deep need uh, for a meaningful relationship with Christ. That's the higher power one. So we have a need for a deep, meaningful relationship with Christ. O is like really regardless of our hurts, regardless of our trials that we may face in life, that we need to be open to God helping us, to allowing these trials to change us, to change us for the better and not for the bitter. So that we need to be letting those trials that we're inevitably going to be coming through, making us better by enduring through them with faith and hope in Christ than to let them make us bitter because we are, uh, you know, not wanting to be in the refining fire. And so we see that P is that it's only through the power of Christ that working within us, sanctifying us and purifying us, that we can actually change because we can't do this on our own. And E is the expect to change. It's expecting to change is a key part of our true hope in Christ. Because it's more often, it's more like hope is not just a mere wishing. Like, oh, I wish that went well. But it's a certainty of what is to come because it is based on the promises of God. It's based on the character of God. The God who is never changing. So we can see how he has opened himself and revealed himself through scripture. And we can expect, we can hope, uh, have a certainty on that because we know who God is as revealed in scripture. The word hope in ordinary English vocabulary is generally distinguished from certainty. You know, we would say, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, 
but I hope it happens. You know, when the word hope is used in the Bible, like in 1 Peter 1.13, it says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Hope is not just wishful thinking. It's not, I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope it happens. It's an absolutely uh, solid certainty. Christian hope is when God has promised that something is going to happen, and you put your trust into that promise. Christian hope is a confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised that it will come to pass. So this morning I'm going to look into Romans um, chapter 4, verses 16 to 24, the Second half of 16, first part of 24. So if uh, you want to open it up on your, your Bibles, um, on your phone, or grab a Bible at the back cart, that would be wonderful. Um, but we're going to read in through here, and I have some other scripture verses that I'm going to be pulling up here that really uh, flow in and help us uh, understand hope um, in, in Christ, hope that God has shown to us. So this here is talking about Abraham. And so let us, let us look into Romans 4. The faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he, Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations and that he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew in his faith and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Abraham's hope was one of an expectation. And this is because he knew God and knew the relationship he had with him. Like, we can look through, through his life. We can see the situations that he was put into. Um, we can see the promise that came to him. And uh, we see that his character uh, was actually developed over this time. We see that as he was persevering in hope in this promise that God had given to him, uh, that he would have heirs. So he was in a culture, in a place where um, you know, he didn't have any offspring. And so his servant was going to inherit all of his wealth. And yet God comes and says, you know, you are going to have a child. And so he's like, okay. And, uh, but then we see, if we look at his life, he, uh, he had his own kind of... Uh, hang-ups with that. He kind of took it into his own hands and tried to fulfill that promise himself, uh, and it didn't work out. It caused some issues for him. But yet, we see that when the child of promise came, some 25 years later, it wasn't just like the promise was given to him, and then nine months later, the promise was received. You know, it was the promise was given to him, and some 25 years later, then all of a sudden, the promise was realized. And so we see that in that time that he was being refined, that his character was growing and being developed because we see that with Abraham, um, in that moment, then he was put under a trial. And that trial was to offer his son as a sacrifice on the altar. And he had his hope in God. He, he knew that God had made his promise. And so he was following through with that, and then God provided a way. 
He provided a ram when he knew that Abraham was ready to give everything over. And Abraham may have thought, like, okay, God give, has already given me the promise that I shall have a son, that I shall have heirs that are numerous as the sand on the seashore. And so he's like, even if I do follow through with this, God could bring him back because he's the God of all possibilities. And so Abraham knew God because of his relationship that he had with him. He knew he was open to having God change his situation only by the power that God could. Abraham is a great example of what it means to really have a steadfast, confident hope in many different situations and circumstances. But there's another character in Scripture that that really kind of hits home with me, that really you can see who he is um, in a breadth of situations. You can see him in the highs. You can see him in the lows. You can see him when he's young. You can see him when he's old. And uh, for me, like, he exemplifies kind of the entire spectrum of what we're talking about in the recovery series. He is someone who... uh, we see his triumphs interlaced with his hurts and his habits and his hang-ups. And that, that's the man that is, is David. And David is one of my favorite characters in Scripture, specifically because um, you see so much of life within him. There's so much that we can connect to. So aside from Jesus, David is one of my favorite characters within Scripture. And uh, I feel like for myself personally, I can connect with him on so many different levels. And then you see him, he's a man that is uh, called a man after God's own heart. We see that in Acts 13, 22. And so the fact that you look at David, you can see a man that by God himself is called a man after my own heart. And we can see that he had hurts. We can see he had hangups. We can see his habits and where they led him to. But we see through all of it, ultimately, who God is and how he, above and beyond all of that, relates to David. And then we can see that, how he relates to us. And so David, um, the one who, with God's help, slew the giant as a little shepherd boy. So he comes into his public ministry, uh, ministry, public sphere, and all of a sudden, he is catapulted right to the top. And then throughout all of that, we see even like the women show, David has killed his ten thousands, while Saul has killed his thousands. And so we see that even through all of this as a warrior, he is uh, with, God is with him. And then we see all these high moments, yet we also see the low moments. We see the times where he is being chased by Saul because King Saul is wanting, is just had the spirit of darkness come over top of him and he is jealous. And even at one time we see that as David is playing music for him because that's what he did for a lot of time. As he's playing music, Saul throws a spear at him and he flees. And we see this time where he's actually fleeing from the king with a small group of friends. And he is uh, fleeing through the deserts. He's hiding out in caves. So we can see through this how his struggles that he's having. We see how other people are hurting him. The hurts that are being imposed upon him. We see through the Psalms, and that's a beautiful thing that we can have. Because the Psalms, we see his personal struggles in the moments that he's going through. But then we see him, a lot of times when we read through the Psalms, it starts off like we're talking about a situation, but then it connects off as saying, but God, you are my refuge in the storm. God, you are the strong tower. You are unchanging. And so we see that regardless of what our situations and circumstances may be, we see that God is the one who can bring us our confident hope. 
So David, this is kind of interesting. I think there's so much to the character of David. We see those grand moments where he is actually like, you know, conquering things. Um, but then we see those other moments uh, where he is uh, even like a stealthy ninja. You know, we were, um, I was reading through this and, and, and saw a little thing uh, Emmanuel was watching as Superbook. And we kind of saw the, an episode of this and it was just re-depicting that. And so we were seeing that David uh, being this kind of stealthy ninja in a cave, and how as he was hiding in the cave, Saul came up into the cave to relieve himself. And, uh, but this time, like, David's men wanted him to take out King Saul, because they're like, you know, the Lord has put your enemy in your hand, but David was loyal to the end. He was loyal to God's anointed, you know, because he knew that God was the one that was ultimately going to provide hope for him. And so as a stealthy ninja, he sneaks up behind him and cuts off part of his, you know, robe. I'm like, I, that's, that's talent. You know, I, I think of that with David, just the, the ability for that as a, just kind of a little side note. But we see David also as the warrior king. We see the one who has battled relentlessly for God's people. But then we see David in his hurts. Not the ones that are just being imposed onto him, but the ones that he's struggling through. We see his habits. We see his hang-ups. We see the sin that he falls into. And so David, one point where normally he'd be out to battle, he was either um, haphazardly, maybe because of laziness or whatever, but he was home. Or whether it was premeditated. And we see that's where he sees Bathsheba. We see that's the moment where he lets his lust take over, and then it fully blooms into adultery. And then he tries to hide it. And he tries to bury it. And he tries to keep it concealed. And so he brings Uriah, who was a friend of his. If we read about the time where he's hiding in that cave, Uriah was among the men that were there. So Uriah is a friend of his. He's just not a random guy, but he's a friend. And so we see that uh, David commits adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. And we see that as he tries to bury this um, by having Uriah come home and you know, try to cover it up because he found out Bathsheba was pregnant. And you can't hide that. And so he's trying to bury this. And then Uriah, being a righteous man, we see that he does not partake in the relaxations of home. And uh, so David, trying to cover it up even more, then when Uriah goes back, he gives the order to basically have Uriah murdered. And so we see that his sin, this one uh, that started off as other being like maybe lazy, not being where he's supposed to be at home, or it was premeditated, we see how that snowballs. We see how it kept growing and growing until it was out of control. So we see that hurt. We see that, that hang-up. We see the sin that's in his life. And yet we see how God relates to David. We see that God sent a prophet to come and expose the sin, to come and have it confessed, to have it out in the open. And we see David, this man who's described as a man after God's own heart, we see these struggles he goes through. And that's part of the reason why I like David so much is because you can relate like, oh man, I failed. But you see, oh, God still loves me. You know, you can see that. You have that hope, that confident expectation. And David, we see him as a psalm writer, one who worshiped God in all of the highs and the lows. And so as we read through those psalms, we, we really do see a lot of growth, a lot of those emotional things that we really want to connect with. It's more than just the intellectual knowledge and we're just reading a story, but we can actually see and connect with a person who is experiencing all this. And, it, and he leaves us with a great picture of the character of God. 
because we can see how God connects and interacts with David. And this is a way that brings hope to anyone who is struggling. The Apostle Paul put it this way when he writes about hope to the church in Rome. It says this in Romans 5, 2-5. It says, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, I share this because this, I see this as exemplifying the life of David. We see him in his sufferings. We see him persevere. We see his character growth, even through the ebbs and the flows of all of it. And ultimately, we see his hope in God and his promises. David wrote in Psalm 68, 19, he says this, says, Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. He shows us that God doesn't leave us to bear our burdens, our hurts, our habits, or our hang-ups. He doesn't leave us to do that alone. Yet by his power, he brings hope into all of those situations. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. So even though we may enter moments of temptation, moments of uh, where our hang-ups or our sin is really wanting to well up within us, God doesn't leave us alone. He is partnering alongside of us to help us bear this. He helps provide that way of escape. Nahum 1.7 says this, The Lord is good. I'm going to pause there for a second. The Lord is good. He is a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. I was reading earlier this week um, and, and thought this would be a good illustration of uh, how God connects with us and how he redeems us. Um, in 1988, there was a fire in the southern half of the Yellowstone National Park. Thousands of acres of virgin forest was burned to the ground And the resulting devastation looked like a moonscape where nothing could live. Some feared that the disaster would have irreversible ecological impact. However, the first shots of green came up with the very first rain, days after the fire. And as the years passed, there's been an incredible rebirth from from the ashes of devastation. New life in dead places. Isn't that what God does in, to, and for us. You think about that time. You think about those moments where we may go through those devastating, dark times. But yet God provides the rain. And not like a dreary, gloomy rain, but like the refreshing rain. The rain that brings new life. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. He says, Jesus Christ knows the worst about you. Nonetheless, He is the one who loves you the most. I celebrate that. You know, the fact that the God who knows me inside and out more than any other person, more than any, even myself sometimes, he knows me truer 
He knows all my hurts, all my hang-ups, all my habits, and yet he is the one who loves me the most. Ultimately, our truest hope is found in Christ, the one who empowers us to break free of the chains of bondage. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. He is the one who takes our punishment, not just so that we can live with him one day, but so that we can thrive in him today. Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ brings victory to the battles that we can never win on our own. And he sets up a community to help ensure that we can thrive as a body. And that's the church. And it's not just a building, but it's the community of people that are here. The community of believers that can help us thrive together. That can hold each other accountable. That can provide a place to express this hope that we have in Christ and have it lived out one of my favorite illustrations to give is, um, is thinking about how a sword is made. You know, we look to David, we see all the battles that he went into, and, and he knew the weapons that he had in place. And so we see that if a sword is made and it has um, some impurity within it, you know, that's a fatal flaw that can be in there. Because if you, you may have a sword, it may look great, you may think it's going to do exactly what you need it to do when you go into those moments of battle, but if it has that impurity in it, then you come into battle, and that first swing, when it hits contact, it shatters. You know, it can break. But what, what happens when you make a sword is that you put it into a fire, and then you pull it out, and you fold the metal over, and it brings out the impurity. And it's between the refining fire and then the cooling and then the refining fire that it is made pure throughout all of this. That purity needs to be expressed. It needs to come out of that in order to be stronger to have our character developed. And if we want victory in our life, we need to confess, confess our hurts, our hang-ups, and our habits. Because hope is a confident expectation in what is yet to come. Regardless of whether or not the reality that we're living in in this moment or the facts of this current time show how that same hope, whether they line up or not, because God has the power to move mountains, even the mountains in our own lives. Um, at this moment, I'm going to ask Evan Dossenberg to come up. He is going to share his testimony with us, and then uh, after that, he is, uh, we're, we're going to have a, a short video at the end before we close, and so here is Evan. First off, I'm going to claim this is my Kleenex box from last service, so... Uh, hello, my name is Evan. Uh, I've been the Sioux uh, and Sioux Wesleyan Church for a year and a half now. I've been the Coast Guard for 14 and a half years. Um, thank you. <clears throat> I work at the station. I do search and rescue, law enforcement, and uh, the fun ice rescue. That's a new adventure in my life. Um, so I uh, wrote my testimony down because if I didn't, we'd be here till dinner time. So here we go. <clears throat> I began my life born into a strict and loving Christian home in Leesburg, Virginia. For the first seven years of my life, I spent with my parents moving up and down the East Coast, living in different states, and attending many church churches and Sunday schools. After I turned seven years old, my parents moved out west to Fort Collins, Colorado in Cheyenne, Wyoming, where we spent the next four years till I was 11. From 11 years old to 21, we moved to Newport Ritchie, Florida, in the same town with my dad's parents. 
Living in Newport Ritchie is the longest place I've ever lived to this day. Growing up in Florida, most of my youth life, I was always attending youth small groups, outside playing sports, trying to catch the next biggest bass or surf the next West Coast golf chop. I took on early in high school the responsibilities of working different jobs and saving my money. I accepted Christ for the first time when I was 16 after receiving my driver's license. I stayed plugged in at church for the next year, but after I graduated high school and started community college, things changed. I made new friends, and the influences around me for the next two years drew me farther away from God. I would still give God attention on Sunday, but the rest of my life, my flesh was turning more to the world, and trouble surrounded me in every part of my life. After completing two years of college and hitting a roadblock, my dad gave me two options, join a military branch or I'm kicking you out. I ran down the next day to two military branches, the Marines and the Coast Guard. The Marines said six-month wait, and the Coast Guard said three weeks. Three weeks later, by the grace of God, I was heading to Cape May, New Jersey for Coast Guard boot camp. After boot camp, I was pumped. I received orders to my first duty station in Hawaii on the Coast Guard Cutter Jarvis. I had no clue what I was walking into or what the Cutter Jarvis was. It was, at the time, the largest 378-foot white needle of death the Coast Guard had, operating and made long patrols for months at a time. For the next nine months, I sailed the Pacific, visiting different countries and making new friends I worked with. They influenced me quickly because I thought this is how all Coast Guardsmen are during port calls and hanging out. I now barely gave God any attention on Sundays, but the rest of the time, he was forgotten. I was consistently, during my nine months on board the cutter, flirting with serious punitive action leading me to getting kicked out. Somehow, I received orders to Virginia for the next three years. I ran headfirst into trouble, getting arrested and having my rank suspended. During that time, I still pursued the troublesome lifestyle. The people surrounding me did not help me, but made it worse. My attitude and anger towards life and life was out of control. At the end of the three years, I received orders to catch a can in Alaska. I heard many rumors at the time, everyone who goes to Alaska becomes an alcoholic. For some reason, that stuck in my head. After the ferry dropped me off on the island in Ketchikan, the couple's house I rented a temporary apartment from invited me to church. I started going back to church regularly and going to small groups, but I was still holding on to things I didn't want to let go. After being in Ketchikan over six months, I met a girl in Kodiak, and after a three-months-long-distance relationship, we were engaged and planned on getting married three months later. Two weeks before the wedding, my ex-fiance called off the wedding, putting me in a dark place. Instead of getting help from people at church or family, Frank the Tank came back to drinking with the guys outside of work and at port calls. After a night of partying, the serious troubles I seemed to always escape and never affected my life finally did. I was demoted in the Coast Guard and kicked off the boat. I was diagnosed as alcohol abusive and sent to treatment in Berkeley, California. The first couple of days of treatment, I still don't believe or want to think I had a problem. On the third day of treatment, I prayed like I never prayed before. I told God, I'm done. Change me. Help me. God helped me receive the treatment I needed and kept me level-headed through the process. After 26 years of my life, I never thought I would sit in a room with 80 to 100 people on family visitation night and introduce myself as, hi, my name is Evan. I'm an alcoholic. Returning to Alaska after my treatment, God started doing amazing things. Instead of the Coast Guard sending me to a location or job not desired, I received orders to station Panama City Beach, Florida. Station vacation. Again, I was excited and ready for a fresh new start in a warm place, but knew of the challenges heading to spring break capital of America. After being in Panama City Beach for a couple of weeks, I found myself one night starting to have a couple drinks and then drinking extremely heavily the rest of the night. Instantly, after all the trouble I was in and being sober for three months, I lost my sobriety. The next morning, after that horrible night, I woke up with the worst hangover I ever had in my life and was crying uncontrollably. I gave my mom access to my checking account to hold me accountable. That morning, she called, crying, and encouraged me to let it go and focus on God. The next day, I visited a new church and continued to go there the next few weeks. The pastor, every service I went to, would say, I'm giving you the information. God gives you the revelation. It is up to you for the application. 
After church, I was always thinking about what the pastor was saying. It is up to you for the application. I attended a Wednesday night church service and went up for prayer. They laid hands on me, and I asked God to help me apply your word in every part of my life. From that day on, God has embraced me. He has never let go. He has never given up on me. Praise God. I got plugged into church, serving, and into a small group that kept me close and knew of my struggles, but loved me with prayer, support, and accountability. These are the influences, finally, in my life that brought peace, joy, and happiness, understanding, and love. God was not done with surprises in my life. He introduced me to a beautiful, love, loving, God-fearing woman three months later after arriving in Florida. That is now my wife, Kristen. We talked and courted for six months, then got engaged. Three months later, we got married and have been happily married for eight years with two strong, healthy boys. I wanted to share some of the amazing things God has done for me and my family since my life has changed. Paid off student loans, getting out of debt, God providing the right job for Kristen in Florida when there was no hope, having the opportunity and privilege to be youth pastors, introducing several of our friends to accepting Christ, serving with a happy heart and wanting to give, getting my rank back and advancing to next pay grade, always providing for our needs and never having to worry. Certain families might not know how much they really have affected someone, but I wanted to thank the community of families that have helped provide hope through Christ for the win, and influence me tremendously and others here at Sue Wesleyan Church. The Tolls, the Perkins, the Sayers, the Hills, the Reeds, the Becks, the McLeods, the Pierces, the Goulets, the Walters, the Lalones, and now the Blacks. Now everywhere the Coast Guard sends, the family and I, we are ready to do work for his kingdom. We are living the dream here now in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, and making memories for a lifetime. Before we play this song up on the screen that has been placed on my heart to share with you all, Please take the time to praise God because he is stronger and more powerful in everything in our lives. He provides an abundance of love and hope for anyone who is struggling. And I promise, and I promise, he will never let you give up on you. So my last praise report to you all is, hi, my name is Evan. I'm an alcoholic but I've been sober for nine years now, giving God all the glory. I'm in charge of ushers and greeters. Do you want to serve with me?